In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, the coolest and most caffeinated weekly crypto show on the internet, we're talking about the very real possibility of another Bitcoin crash that would mark what could be the final capitulation event in this crypto bear market. Of course, we also have our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, which everybody loves, and more crypto news on the show as well. So make sure you stick around for all the updates and all the information we've got in store today. If you like crypto, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the bell notification button or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of the show here on all the channels. By the way, make sure to watch out for scammers that are all across social media that are impersonating me, trying to take money and personal info from you, especially in the YouTube comments. Please be careful. I will not reach out to you. Now, as the headline of the video very clearly states, the conditions for yet another significant Bitcoin crash are unfortunately in place. And I know people don't want to hear it, but I want to share my view on what we can expect in the coming months related to Bitcoin and what those conditions are so you can prepare yourself for what may happen. I'm not saying it will, but what may happen. We've had every form of cataclysm for the crypto markets up till now, the rapid fall of Terra Luna, and that uh, flowed into Bitcoin as well because the Bitcoin reserves flowed onto the market in sales. And then the subsequent bankruptcy dominoes that took down the famous Three Arrows Capital Hedge Fund, which then triggered bankruptcy for massive pillars in the crypto lending space, such as Celsius and Voyager, whose futures are far from certain. And this whole process of free fall, there's been plenty of forced selling and panic selling of crypto assets, and it's no surprise. But there are still pieces on the board that can continue this trend and bring us into a further crash scenario for Bitcoin. First, you have the falling cost of Bitcoin mining, which seems meaningless, if not positive at first. However, the cost to mine Bitcoin has dropped heavily down to an average of around 10 to 12K per Bitcoin in terms of unit cost of production, which is a factor in Bitcoin's price and how it's correlated between minor profit and cost dynamics. This unit cost of production for Bitcoin is, in some schools of thought, the floor price for the asset on the market. As miners sell to cover costs and make profits on the delta between cost of production and price of the asset, that price can fall towards the perceived floor. Now, if you're not a subscriber to this theory around the price floor of Bitcoin due to costs, there are other headwinds that Bitcoin faces which can send it tumbling down to that 10K mark. Namely, macroeconomic conditions, things like aggressive rate hikes to tame record high inflation, and an increasingly strong dollar, which both together have historically boded very poorly for Bitcoin and other risk asset prices. In fact, as of the time of recording here, if you look at the one-year chart for the DXY or USDX index, which poses the US dollar's value or strength against a handful of other currencies, you'll see this aggressive positive slope on that graph, indicating the dollar's increasing strength. This inverse correlation between the dollar and Bitcoin's price, or the strength of the dollar and Bitcoin's price, is an interesting trend we need to watch. As those consumer price index or CPI numbers spike, as a measure of inflation, the dollar strength has seen an uptick along with a dip in Bitcoin to boot. Now, the last element you have to consider here is the fact that much of the aftermath of the contagion in the crypto market is still yet to be fully resolved. Crypto lenders like Voyager and Celsius, who have cumulative billions of dollars of user funds in custody now, are still at risk. And with Three Arrows Capital founders missing in action, apparently, as their creditors give chase, there's still a lot of stuff unsettled in how all of these 
different bankruptcy or insolvency pieces are going to fall into place. In my view, until inflation is curbed, aggressive Federal Reserve action with rate hikes subside, and the smoke clears on the many loose ends that we have in the collapse of crypto mainstays, we will not be out of the woods with another move down. I'm personally preparing for a potential scenario where Bitcoin drops to a price between 10,000 US dollars and 13,000 US dollars, and I've set conditional buys on my iTrust Capital Crypto IRA and various exchanges so I can capitalize on those prices if they were to hit. If you haven't checked out iTrust Capital and you're in the USA, you can also find a link to that in the description box below the video or the podcast if you're exploring in the United States that is a long-term tax advantage crypto retirement account. Bear in mind that it's a custodial service and there are clear risks involved, so know that going into it. But anyway, back to the point at hand. If this Bitcoin crash were to materialize, there would be a silver lining because it would represent with a high degree of probability that this is the bear market bottom. This bottom could be the beginning of a renewed move at least to a more stable place, which I think a lot of people would appreciate, if not back upwards. Not back to all-time highs, but at least back to greener pastures. This is important because understanding the worst case scenario, whether you think it's negative or not, will help you plan your moves during uncertain times and hedge yourself against those risks. The truth is though, no one knows whether we've hit bottom or we have room to fall or when we will return back to any semblance of a bull market. What we do know, at least with a high level of conviction, is that this industry is here to stay and Bitcoin is certainly not dead, despite the hundreds of times that we have read its obituary in years past. By the way, thanks to Onyx Coffee for the coffee. Now, my friends, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found, which is a firecracker of a segment on the show where I break down logical conundrums in the crypto space that need to get some attention. Which, speaking of attention, if you want to help this show get some attention, which really helps, it's tough to get views in the bear market without hype. I'm not really about hype. Please hit the like button, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share this stuff with your friends. It really does help the show. So thanks for that in advance. Now, today's piping hot cup of illogical goodness is centered around a Bank of England officials commentary on the need for crypto regulation. And I want to make very, very clear that I do not disagree with everything this person said, nor do I intend to personally attack this gentleman, why he is unnamed, because he made several great points outside of the one rather illogical statement that I felt needed addressing. Because it was course, it was of course, excuse me, the statement that I'm about to talk about that made the headlines, which maybe weren't so relevant to what he was actually saying, or maybe didn't capture the actual intended message. The statement of particular issue for me was this Bank of England official's analogy between the crypto markets and unsafe aeroplanes. First implying and then later reiterating that the intent of the statement was that crypto regulation must fit into the existing framework for financial regulation. We just have to regulate this. Now here's where I take issue. There is little room in quote unquote current frameworks to regulate crypto. And there has been little attempt by regulators, in my opinion, to engage with the community to build out new frameworks that would serve this function effectively. Applying outdated or already poor rules that have enabled the financial disaster after financial disaster and an ever-growing wealth gap to a technology like crypto that is wildly different in structure and semantics would be a terrible, terrible mistake. To apply the same analogy used here, about aeroplanes or airplanes, this would be like applying regulations and standards for crafting cruise ships to building airplanes. It just won't work. 
you'll end up with an environment where no one wants to build airplanes because the rules are completely incongruent with the fundamental design principles of what they are trying to build and the regulations that are being imposed. The contagion and subsequent implosion of crypto has hurt many, many investors, mostly retail, and that is a surefire way to get regulators involved and to be an indicator to regulators that they need to step in. However, that's not a call to action to force fit current regulational frameworks or regulation frameworks or regulatory frameworks of financial services to a completely different set of technologies and protocols that you see in crypto. A decentralized finance protocol, for example, like an exchange, cannot possibly comply with regulations that require collection of personal information from all users who use it, for example. So any calls for regulation should be qualified with a call for regulation that is founded on a deep-rooted knowledge and understanding of how this industry works so as not to completely destroy it in the process. This is a much taller task than you'd think. Now, anyways, shifting gears here, I wanted to talk about some other stories in the crypto space. So let me uh, pull up the computer here, the screen share, so you can see what I'm seeing. And then we'll talk about these stories from around the crypto space. All right. So the first story on the books today is uh, one from Cointelegraph, actually. So this story reads, Circle discloses a full breakdown of the 55.7 billion USDC reserves. As of June 30th, about 75.6% of Circle's reserves were held in US treasuries and 24.4% were held in cash at regulated financial institutions. So this is something that I think you're going to start to see become more and more commonplace. Stable coins, whether based on a centralized entity in this environment where you have Circle, this sort of um, manager or the founder of this USDC or USD coin stable coin, that's US dollar pegged, you're going to see these attestations of assets become more and more prevalent. Why? Because we just saw one of the most uh, horrifying implosions of a stable coin in UST in the Terra Luna fiasco that people are going to be looking to stablecoin issuers, whether decentralized or centralized, to be very clear about collateralization, reserve assets, so on and so forth. It's going to be a major, major point of emphasis. And that's why for many years, you've heard complaints and people talking about USDT or Tether and saying, I don't really trust them or do I trust them? You go back and forth because when there's room for doubt, you have fear. When there's room for doubt, you have this uncertain feeling of, of concern around the legitimacy or the stability of a stable coin, which of course in the name is supposed to be stable. It's supposed to be a trustworthy place to park your money without exposure to more volatile risk assets like a Bitcoin, an Ethereum, or sorry, Ether to be specific, or other altcoins out there. Now, when it comes to Circle, I want to give them a commendation on this because they are approaching it in the correct way to be proactively uh, proactively transparent about where their assets, not only that they have the necessary assets in reserve to more or less back this stable coin and its issuance, but not only that, where in particular they have these assets and in what format they have them, what exposure do they have? So there's all these concerns around you know, Tether and their exposure to different uh, things in the space. Are they susceptible with Celsius bankruptcy, for example? So this is something that I wanted to call out because it's going to be something you see more and more of, especially as we move out of this really negative phase, as we come out of contagion in the crypto market and we come into hopefully a more stable place. 
where we've learned our lesson. Please, let's have learned our lesson. Uh, the next story is about Ethereum. A lot of people have been asking me about uh, any updated information around the Ethereum merge. And so this is the transition from proof of work consensus to proof of stake consensus uh, on the Ethereum mainnet. This will also come with a, for many people, a much needed uh, reduction in energy usage. We're talking 99.5 to 99.7% reduction in energy consumption through the operation of the Ethereum networks. And so that will alleviate a lot of the concerns that people have around the sustainability uh, the sustainability of you know digital assets like NFTs, for example. Now, the Ethereum merge did recently have an update, and I want to caveat this by saying this is not a firm guaranteed release date. There are no guarantees in technology. We're one issue away from saying, hey, we're going to push this out another month, another two months, depending on what the issue is, could be even longer than that. But we do have a sort of soft timeline for when the Ethereum merge is actually supposed to happen now. So I'm just going to kind of go through here on the story, right? The Ethereum developers, they can confirm the perpetual date for the merge. The transition journey from proof of work to proof of stake could take years as it began with the launch of the beacon chain in December 2020 and has had and has seen several delays on the way or a couple typos in that title. But anyways, the, the, the thing that I want to call out here is that the first really notable thing uh, in, on this timeline that I read uh, in a tweet from one of the folks in the Ethereum Foundation is the Gorley testnet, which is one of the cross-client testnets or the cross-client testnet in the Ethereum space. A lot of developers, a lot of uh, folks building things in the space use the Gorley testnet. It's going to go through the merge in August. So that's pretty, pretty soon if you're look, you're watching this video on July 16th when it first dropped uh, or later, it might be even closer. So what that means is that that's going to be what I really deem to be one of the final tune-ups before the actual merge event starts to happen on mainnet. If issues are found during that Gorley testnet merge, which hopefully there won't be, then of course you will see maybe an adjustment of timeline. But that puts the official merge for mainnet at or around the middle of September, which if you go all the way back to some of the content I was making about this before several months ago, even as late as end of last year, we were talking about end of summer, early fall. So late summer, early fall for the merge. And I think we're gonna land right around that target. What's gonna be really interesting is that people are wondering whether the price of ether is going to react positively or negatively to this news. And it is very, very unclear what is going to happen. I frankly don't even know how I feel about it. I'm not totally sure. It's gonna take at least a year for those who have their ether staked on this new, um, in this new proof of stake environment to be able to move their funds. So you won't have this huge monster dump of ether, which may be the point to be quite honest, but it's really hard to say whether, which is gonna win out the excitement around the merge or the overall malaise around the crypto space. So we're gonna have to wait and see, but let me know in the comments, what do you think is gonna happen with Ether after the merge, assuming it does land in the fall? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Now, the last thing I wanted to talk about today and story-wise is, uh, is a story from Coindesk. And this is related to a new Oracle, so bringing off-chain or outside data into the blockchain for conditional logic related to DeFi, so crypto prices, etc. That's what an oracle is. It's called Empiric Network, and this is launching with a $7 million funding round. And so talk a little bit more about this based on the subheading variant, which I assume is a, uh, a fund, 
led the round for StarkNet-based Oracle, which was created in partnership with Starkware. So Starkware, I have a video coming out about this fairly soon. This is in the ZK family or zero knowledge family of uh, layer twos or roll-ups, if you, whatever you wanna call them uh, in, in, in your own colloquial language. And Starkware or its network StarkNet is in my opinion, going to be a fairly critical cog in the scalability of Ethereum as we move into the next phase of Ethereum's development. Of course, proof of stake is not going to solve the scalability issues that Ethereum faces. It's going to solve for a handful of other issues and set the stage, but there's a lot of other things that need to be built up, reliance on rollups, sharding, all sorts of different things that are going to go into the scalability of Ethereum and therefore drive down fees. Only to an extent, though. Vitalik Buterin, the founder and brain behind Ethereum in many ways, has already talked about how Ethereum is going to be an L2-centric or Layer 2-centric ecosystem. So projects like StarkNet, which are in their early days, are going to be very important. So I'm looking at projects like Empiric, like StarkNet, which is going to have its own token. Um, the reality is I'm looking at these as potential areas to not only invest, but really to learn. If you're a developer, or if you're a technical person, you should be diving into these things right now. So you can be prepared when they inevitably, at least in my view, it's an opinion, inevitably become very popular and very critical in the next phase of Ethereum's development and support the future of NFTs and DeFi if all things go well. And it won't be just StarkNet, there are others. Uh, Matter Labs ZK Sync, for example, also fantastic technology. Then you have other forms of rollups, uh, optimistic rollups like Optimism and Arbitrum, which are also important. So really take a survey of the land of Ethereum layer twos, because they are going to be an increasingly important theme as we move out of this bear market and hopefully into a new bull market sometime in the next several months or years. Like I said before, no one can predict this. Now, I want to thank you so much for watching this and every other episode of Crypto Over Coffee or listening if you're on the podcast platforms. Uh, please let me know what types of content you would like to see or if there's something that you would like me to research and share my thoughts with you about, please leave those things in the comment section or tweet me at Hishoshi4. But most importantly, hope you and your family have a wonderful rest of your weekend and rest of your week ahead. And until next time, cheers.